It's been just about 15 years ago uh, since the last time I stood up uh, in this uh, facility and at this place. Uh, the last time I, I did this, uh, the young lady in the second to last row back there in the blue, uh, who is Carissa, some of you may remember, uh, she was much smaller um, in her little white, bo- little white dress and her little white bonnet, if y'all remember that, and probably being held by somebody. <laughs> uh, we would just pass her around. Whoever would take her uh, on a Sunday morning uh, is what we would do, and we enjoyed that. It's been a blessing uh, this weekend to be here, uh, to come back. Uh, It's a little bit of a homecoming. Um, This was the first call that I had out of seminary, uh, was being here for three years. And it was a wonderful time uh, for us to grow uh, and things like that. We spent the 14 years after that in Ocala, Florida. Uh, Danielle and I had another child in that time, CJ, who is uh, back there, and I'm amazed that he didn't stand up and introduce himself to you all at that point. Uh, it's very fun to have two children who are so very, very different. One an extreme introvert, the other an extreme extrovert. God got even with me, uh, with my son. Um, but we enjoyed our time in Ocala. Uh, we moved back to Myrtle Beach uh, back in August of last year and have been just seeking where God's going to call us next. We're not sure where that may be, uh, but you can keep in, our, in your prayers for us. Uh, we will be going uh, the weekend of August 18th uh, to Nassau, Bahamas uh, for an interview with the church there. It's not as glamorous as it sounds. Uh, it is a much different ministry. Uh, cruise ship ministry does sound fun, uh, but uh, it is a ministry to the local environment around there. And if you've ever been to a, a, a resort area like that, there is, if you go to the third block, it's a very different world than those first two. Our sermon passage today uh, is from 2 John, if you would like to turn there. Uh, And and as you do, uh, John, in his gospel and in Revelation and in the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, one of the things that he talks about a great deal are the concepts of truth and love. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning as we look at 2 John. And... The this, this second book of John is, is this epistle written by the, the disciple that Jesus loved as he refers to himself. And as he, it's a follow-up to the letter of 1 John where in that passage, John has been writing to this church that is under kind of persecution and also the threat of false teachings and is there to reassure believers in Jesus Christ of their faith and love in him. Second John was written to encourage Christians not to lose focus, to not to warn against persistent heresies of the day that were going on. And some of those heresies still exist today. As he'll talk about in just a second, uh, one of them was severe self-discipline, which we would refer to today as legalism. Uh, and basically, those who love truth so much, they forgot to love. And then he was also speaking against those who were licentious, those who were not following the law at all. There was no discipline to them. And so they loved love so much that they forgot truth. And we've got to have both. 
John's key purpose is that the children of God may abide in the truth and that the truth may abide in them and that they may love one another. So let's read from 2 John. Here now is God's word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love that we, according to his commandments, this is the commandment just as you heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world; those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked work. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and to talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him in a brief word of prayer, and then we'll dig in. Gracious Heavenly Father God, we do thank you. We do praise you. That you can gather your people together. That we can not only be gathered here at New Covenant in Manning, but there are churches in this town, in this county, in this state, in this country. There are churches worldwide worshiping, praising, and adoring you today. We pray for our brothers and sisters in places where they have to worship in secret because of the fear of persecution. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are hurting. We pray for our brothers and sisters who need your guidance. And now, Father, be with the one today who speaks. He is a vile sinner in desperate need of a great Savior. Now, Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, daughter was little. Uh, we talked about this a little bit this morning. One of our favorite things to do was to watch Disney movies, of course. And Carissa, being a young lady, uh, she loved Cinderella. 
when she was just a little, little girl. We had the whole dress. We had little pumps and everything else. What One day, to my great dismay, I came home and found that she had dressed up her brother in that outfit. That was quite disconcerting. But as we watch the movie, and we get, of course, to the part where Cinderella finally meets the prince, and it's the first time they're meeting, and they begin to sing the song, So this is love. Mm-hmm. So this is love. Our children said I couldn't go any further than that. But she goes on, and they go on in that song, and they say, So this is what makes love divine. I'm all aglow, and all I know, the key to heaven is mine. My heart has wings, and I can fly. I'll touch every star in the sky. So this is the miracle I've been dreaming of. So this is love. Love is an interesting word. In the English language, we have one word for it. And we use it to say, I love my wife or my husband. And at the same time, we say, I love cheeseburgers. So the word love, we can just kind of lose what it means. It's one of the reasons why the Greek language is so interesting. Because it didn't have just one word for love. It had several And so we know that it had the word philos, which was a brotherly love, kind of a horizontal love. I love you. We're on the same plane. We had eros, which was the love between a a man and a woman in a spousal relationship. And then we had the word that we're going to focus on today, and that is agape. And it's an interesting word, and, and as we go about, we'll see, you know, Most of what we deal with in American life, and especially as we see in Disney movies, is that eros, the love. Oh, I just love that other person so very much. Snow White, of course, cured by the kiss from a prince. Cinderella falling in love while dancing. Most Disney movies end in that marriage, like Ariel and Prince Eric at the end of Little Mermaid. Can y'all tell I watched a lot of Disney when they were little? And a majority of the stories that we're told on television and movies today, they're about that. That love, the gathering together at the very end. I love to go to Panama City, R-Y-M, which a lot of the youth uh, went to and Libby went to uh, two weeks ago. And when I go there, my mother-in-law lives right down the road from the camp. And so we go, and in the middle of July, Hallmark Channel is always showing Christmas in July movies. And I know every last plot of every movie, doesn't matter what the title is, doesn't matter who the actors are, it's two people who are broken in some way, shape, or form. They meet up, they fall in love, something happens, goes wrong, and then they break up, and then they get back together the last five minutes, and everything's happy. And that's what we're told love is. But Jesus told us otherwise. When he spoke of love, he used the word agape. Not eros, not philos. When he said, love one another as I have loved you in John 13, he used the word agape. It's the highest form of love. It's not about emotion. It's about self-sacrifice. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about love. Christ said to himself, no one can have a greater love, agape, than to lay his life down for his friends. It's a love of sacrifice. It's a love that isn't often shown 
in the movies. So what is agape love? Well, agape means love. It means charity. The love of God for man and of man for God. And it's used in the ancient texts uh, that are not, bi- not the biblical text, but other Greek texts to describe the way of one has of feelings for their children or feelings for a spouse of self-sacrifice. Not the, the romantic love, but of self-sacrifice. Agape is used by Christians in Scripture to describe the unconditional love that God has for his children and the unconditional love that we should have for God and each other. Basically, that is it, to love someone unconditionally and sacrificially. Now, the word agape is actually kind of rarely found in other ancient Greek texts. Uh, It appears in Homer ten times. It appears just three times in the writings of Euripides. But it appears 320 times in the New Testament. It's sacrificial. It says, I love you when you are not lovable. I love you. It's, agape is the cross. Agape is extending its arms wide to embrace all of the elect. Agape loves when it is not convenient and it is not reciprocated. And it extends to both the deserving and the undeserving. Agape love was once described to me as a vertical love, like the love between an authority and a vassal. Uh, if we were talking about in, in the feudal system, it would be the love that a lord had for the people that he, that the people who lived on the land that he owned. And a lot of movies, we of course, you know, there's angst and everything else. It was supposed to be a truly loving situation. I'm going to take care of you. And they would respond, we love you, we'll follow you. That was the, the love that it was describing. Now, in a sense, God loving his children, we certainly can grasp that image of that authority. He, he, God is the authority figure above me, and I can love that. I, I, I understand that image. But how do we do it in this relationship between peers, between people amongst us? Does that mean that I have to always be the subservient one? Does that mean that I, don't, don't I at some point get to be the authority? In Luke chapter 14, we hear from God himself. We hear Jesus say, hey, when you go to the wedding feast, don't go and seek out the front table. Don't go and try to get the most important place. You go first. Self-sacrifice. Take one of the back seats. Agape means love, means thinking of others rather than yourself. One of the great examples I've ever read about this agape love comes from an account taken by an author. His name is uh, Nikos Kazantakis. Uh, Y'all try to pronounce that five times real fast. And in his memoir, A Report to Greco, he wrote an account of an incident in his life when he was traveling through Crete. uh, And he tells this story defining what it was like to see Christ-like sacrificial love. And and I'm going to read his account. He says, I knew that no matter what door you knock on in a Cretan village, it will be opened for you. A meal will be served in your honor, and you will sleep between the best sheets in the house. In Crete, the stranger is still the unknown God. Before him, all doors and all hearts are opened. 
Night had begun, had already begun to descend as I entered the village. The doors were all shut. In the courtyard, the dogs caught the intruder scent and began to bark. Where should I go? At which door should I knock? At the priest's home, where all strangers find refuge. The priests in our village are uncultivated. Their education meager. They are incapable of any theoretical discussion of Christian doctrine. But Christ lives in their heart. He goes on to tell about how he knocked on the door of an older lady and asked where was the priest's house, and she directed him to it. And so he knocked on the door, and then he heard the priest approach and open it. And standing in front of me, he says, was an old man with a snow-white beard and long hair flowing down over his shoulders. Without asking me who I was or what I wanted, he extended his hand. Welcome. Are you a stranger? Come in. I heard voices as I entered. Doors opened and closed, and several women slipped down hastily into the adjoining room and vanished. The priest had me sit down on the couch. My wife is a little disposed. You'll have to excuse her. But I myself will cook for you, lay the table at your supper, for your supper, and prepare a bed for you so you can sleep. His voice was heavy and afflicted. I looked at him. He was extremely pale, and his eyes were swollen and inflamed, as though from weeping. But no thought of misfortune occurred to me. I ate and slept, and in the morning the priest came and brought me a tray of bread, cheese, and milk. I held up my hand, thanked him, and said goodbye. God bless you, my son, he said. Christ be with you. I left. At the edge of the village, an old man appeared. Placing his hand over his breast, he greeted me. Where did you spend the night last night, son? At the priest's house. The old man sighed. Ah, poor fellow. And you didn't catch a wind of anything? What was there to catch wind of? His son died yesterday morning. His only son. Did you not hear the women lamenting? I heard nothing. Nothing. They had him in the inner room. They must have muffled their laments to keep you from hearing and being disturbed. Pleasant journey! My eyes filled with tears. What are you crying for? exclaimed the old man in astonishment. Oh, I see. You're young and you haven't gotten used to death yet. Pleasant journey. Talk about love and self-sacrifice when it isn't convenient. God calls us to love. He calls us to embrace. Even in those moments when we are hurting ourselves, he calls us to love with a self-sacrificial love. Well, why do we pursue this agape love? The easiest answer ever. It's because God first loved us. He did it first. He showed that self-sacrificial love. He made the way to us first. He showed his love. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He extended it first. We didn't deserve the sacrifice. We didn't earn it. But he gave it to us anyway. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Christ brought it forth. He brought forth this agape love. Agape love is not a love that comes naturally to us just because of our fallen nature. We are incapable of that love. But if we have Jesus Christ, we are fully capable because we have the Holy Spirit. And if we struggle with that, we pray, Lord God, open my heart to, be, to, sh- to not only receive more of your love, but to give more of that love back out. It's a love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this is how we know what love is. Christ, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Because God has first loved us. Now we can turn around and love others. That leads us to the question... What does agape love lead us to? And it leads us to action. It leads us to, as Mike Griffin pointed out this morning in the Sunday school class, it leads us to do, to go forth, to go out, to work, to be the hands and feet of God. If you look back at 2 John chapter 6, excuse me, not chapter 6, verse 6, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as I have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Well, what was the commandment? Well, it goes back to Matthew 22 when he says, the two commandments can be be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus ups the ante a little bit in John when he talked in the upper room discourse when he says, not just love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as I have loved you. As I, Jesus Christ, who am about, I'm about to go to the cross. That's how you need to love those around you. We love others with an agape love. Whether they are fellow believers, like we're told in John 13, or are bitter enemies, as we're told in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan as an example of a sacrifice that we make for others, even those who may not care anything about us. That's the amazing thing about that parable, is he didn't just say two people. He just said, the Samaritan took the time to care for this Jew who was injured. Enemies. And that's the love that God, that Jesus Christ calls us to, to love one another. Agape love is found in 1 Corinthians 13 when we are, we are told love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. One of Abraham Lincoln's most outspoken critics before he became the president 
was a man named Edward J. Stanton. Uh, Edward J. Stanton called Lincoln a new, a low, cunning clown and the original gorilla. He even said this, it is ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when they could go and find one so easily in Springfield, Illinois. Not a very nice man, was he? Doesn't sound like somebody you'd want to have around a whole lot, is it? But to Lincoln's credit, he never responded to the insults. And yet when he was elected president, Lincoln chose Stanton as his secretary of war. When he was asked why, Lincoln said simply, because he was the best man for the job. Later, when Lincoln had been assassinated, and Stanton had actually gotten to be with Lincoln for those years, and see the character of the man, the love that the man had, Stanton stood by his coffin, which contained Lincoln's body, and through his tears he said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. He's talking about earthly men. To see a man go from that, go, if you want to see a gorilla, just go to Springfield, to that man, tears in his eyes, showed how much patience Lincoln had, the love that he had to win over a mortal enemy. Love is not easy. It is easy to love those who are like us. It's so easy for me to gather. When I was living in, in, in Florida, I hated the second week in November every year because that's when the University of South Carolina plays the University of Florida. And I was outnumbered, huge. And it would have been so easy for me to just say, I'm going up to Manning, and I'm going to gather with all of my South Carolina friends, and we're going to watch the game there. I'll be around people who love me. <laughs> and I'm being a little silly here, but it just goes to show we have to be able to sit amongst those who it's hard to love. It's not easy. There are people, whether it's because of different races or they're a different religion or they have a different political view than we do. And God says, Love them. Pray for them. Meet their needs. Show them Jesus Christ. And the goal is not to change their favorite football team or their political party or whatever else. The goal is to show Jesus and his love and to bring people to Jesus Christ. If we had this patient love, how would it change just the church itself? Just think about if, if in our churches today, if we had the ability to have this patient love for one another, what kind of difference would it make in just the life of the church? My ending in Ocala was not pleasant. It could have been handled a whole lot differently. It boiled down to there was a lack of love. There was a lack, there was more concern about finances or personal preferences instead of, man, that's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. 
I've seen it happen way too many times. I'm sure we've all heard stories of this is happening at this church, this is happening at this church, and nine times out of ten what it boils down to. It's usually not just blatant, absolute heresy. It's that we've forgotten how to love. Or we've been so hurt that we're like, I I can't reach out again. And God says, reach out. Continue to reach out. Continue to love. Don't be so concerned about your needs or your rights. Don't demand those things. Sometimes you may be right. And it may still mean that you love that person enough to say, I'm willing to disagree with you because you're my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? How do we put these things into practice? Well, give your time. Uh, Volunteer. There are all kinds of needs all around. All we have to do is kind of open our eyes. We will find those opportunities, uh, whether it's Bible school that's coming up or teaching Sunday school or children's church. Those are things that you can do in here. There are things in the community that need to be done. There are people all around us who are hurting that need to hear God and his word. Give a favor. Uh, open Small things. Open a door. It sounds like, you know, that's the little things. Smile. When you go past somebody in Walmart, say hello. Just little tiny things like that, begin to grow big things. Give your support. Encourage loved ones. Tell them you know what they're, what they're doing. Let them know that you care. Give your attention. When you're talking with someone, I will tell you, one of the best inventions and one of the worst inventions in the world is this. It is one of the best because it can give you all kinds of information. It is one of the worst because we've lost the ability to actually sit down and communicate face-to-face with one another without being interrupted or... Sh- or Oh my gosh, i got to check. What was the latest tweet? Spend time. Give your focus. Give your energy. It takes a little bit of focus and energy. But give people your attention. Be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Hold people's hands. Make hospital visits. Uh, go and visit those who are shut in. When someone is sick, take care of them. Uh, I will tell you that one of the uh, things that meant the most is a small thing for uh, you know in, in the grand scheme. But when we had Carissa, she came a month early. She completely surprised us. Danielle and I had not had the opportunity to get the house like we had wanted, and and the Thompsons came into our house while we were there, cleaned it from head to toe. I mean, there was not a speck that they had not touched. It was one of the great gifts that we ever received. When I was in Panama City for that all, for RYM, I was talking to a, another pastor friend of mine and his wife, and she said one of the best gifts we ever got was right after we had our fifth child, which, God bless them, five children. After our fifth child, we had a lady in our church who said, just put all of your kids' dirty laundry on the porch, and I will clean it. And she did that three times a week for six months. One of the greatest gifts she ever said. And we may not think, that, do, that doesn't seem like, it's a huge deal. It's not always these big things. It's not always the big gifts. It's sometimes just the little daily interactions that we have that show people how much we love and how much we care. 
give your talent, your skills, your knowledge, uh, whether you know, it be singing in the choir or helping develop a website, or if you have just this gift of mercy and love, finding opportunities to dole that out. Give your heart in prayer and intercession for others. So very important. I had to have this opportunity in Ocala. There was a lady named Betty Heritage. Miss Betty, when I moved to Ocala, was in her 80s, mid-80s, and she just in the last uh, month has passed away. So she was approaching 100 years old. But I knew that every other day, Miss Betty had me on her prayer list that she had written out, and she prayed for me every other day. And she prayed for my students that I would turn over to her and say, I need prayer for this student or whatever else. And sometimes I would go to her and say, thank you, the prayer was answered, you can stop. But there were still students that on the day that she died, she was still going to be praying for. If, you can, if there's nothing else, if you've reached a point and, and you can't do anything, prayer, praying. And I say this as a person who struggles. I stand before you as a pastor in the PCA ordained who admits I find it difficult at times to pray on a regular basis. I actually have to schedule it uh, for myself. I just know myself. If I don't schedule it, I'm too scatterbrained. Pray. I don't think we give enough credence to that. That when we are praying for someone else, we are displaying one of the greatest loves we can ever give to that person. We can also give our time, our money, our material possessions. We can say kind words. Again, it's one of those things that we don't often think about, but a kind word, just a moment of encouragement, is so huge in the life of people. I know for myself that when I would get a little note from a student saying, hey, Sean, thanks so much. This is where I am. You had a major point of part of my life. That would keep me going for six months. A kind word is so very important to people. As I said earlier, Disney movies are general about the eros, the love between a man and a woman. That Snow White being cured by the prince. Sleeping Beauty the same. And most Disney movies again end in that marriage and romance. And our stories in today's world, they end there. Or just maybe not marriage, but romance for sure. But agape love has its greatest showing in self-sacrifice. In laying down one's life for his own. Which is why I love the movie Frozen. Again, Disney, if you've seen it, in the whole movie you think, that it's about love between a boy and a girl. Princess Anna, she has fallen hard. Again, I don't know why they have all of these princesses fall in love with these guys that they meet, and like five minutes later, let's get married. Carissa, if you do that, I will be very upset. But she meets one guy, and that's not the guy, but she has this condition where her heart has been frozen, and she's going to die unless there's an act of true love 
to unfreeze her heart. And so when the first guy doesn't work out, you're like, oh, well, it's got to be the other guy that she met. She's got to run and kiss him. But at the end of the movie, it's not that that saves her. In the end of the movie, the first guy who she fell in love with, who turns out to be a really bad guy, again, remember that, Carissa, is that he's trying to kill her sister. And so Princess Anna, in this last act, right before she freezes completely, stops the sword from falling on her, her, her sister. She sacrifices herself to save her sister. And that act of true love is what saves her. Not this romantic love, but the love of self-sacrifice. God calls us to love those around us. So let us pray that we can do that. Gracious Heavenly Father God, you are gracious and abounding in love and mercy. And you give of yourself. You have sacrificed yourself for us. And Lord God, we ask that you would grant us your grace. Show us more and more of your love, Father, that we would be moved because of it to serve you and your kingdom, to look around and say, Lord God, where do you want me today? Who do you want me to love today? And that, Lord God, we would be salt and light, that we would be your hands and feet into a world that increasingly needs to hear your gospel and yet at the same time is becoming more and more hostile. And Father, the way we break through that hostility is not with more hostility, not anger and not pulling away. We need it through love. Unending agape love. Grant us your grace. Grant us your peace. As we pray.